we were sitting in the kitchen, quietly, while the rest of the team was investigating in the other room. But we kept an audio recorder going, just in case. And it's a good thing we did, because what we heard and saw shocked us both. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, I want to thank you for listening. This podcast only exists because of supporters like you. But unfortunately, podcasts do cost money. So I'm hoping you'll show your support by visiting my website, myparanormalstory.com, and clicking on the donate button. Every little bit helps keep us on the air. Thank you so much for your support. I love old buildings, especially historic locations that have been preserved to reflect what life was like back in the days of when it was originally built. Living in New England, we're fortunate to have homes and buildings like this everywhere, but more and more they're being torn down, so historic places have always been my favorite to explore. And during my time as an investigator with Rise Up Paranormal, We were quite spoiled with the number of historic buildings we got to investigate. I've had the luxury of investigating not only ghosts, but history itself in some of the most interesting places in this country. One of those amazing places was in Rise Up Paranormal's hometown of Tiverton, Rhode Island, the Chase Corey House, a small house in the Four Corners section of Tiverton, built in the early 1700s This small cape house with a gambrel roof is what remains of a colonial village, along with a small shed and outhouse in the back. Now, not much is known about the home except that it was originally built and lived in by the Chase family, who were descendants of some of the earliest settlers in New England, and also distant relatives of Lizzie Borden, you know, the girl who gave her mother 40 wax with an axe. She lived in nearby Fall River years later. Eventually, in the early 1800s, the home was acquired by the Corey family, Andrew Corey, and his wife, Jane Gray. Andrew was the son of Philip Corey, who served as a captain in the Rhode Island militia during the American Revolution. And Jane Gray was the great-great-granddaughter of one of the first residents of Tiverton. Over the decades, the home changed many hands and was occupied by many different families. Today, it's part of the Tiverton Historical Society and has been preserved as a sample of early New England architecture and history. And it's visited by history buffs and school children regularly for a real life look at history and how our ancestors lived. On the inside, much of the house remains as it looked back in the 1700s. The rooms are small and drafty, the ceilings are low and the floors are creaky. There's several fireplaces, one for cooking, one for baking, one for warmth and light. There's old pots and pans hanging on the walls. A small pantry has shelves with many old-looking ceramic jugs and bowls and plates. And the furniture, for the most part, is old and brittle. From the chairs and tables to the beds and benches, most of which are for display now and not for sitting. 
With the Chase Quarry House being such a small location, we chose to only bring a handful of investigators with us. And we used handheld battery-operated equipment to collect data, mostly video cameras and audio recorders. Being an old building, we knew there was a lot of history and potential for paranormal activity, but weren't sure what, if anything, we might find. There was no real documented history of any experiences in the house, aside for a few stories here and there from caretakers and visitors. There were a few different rooms to explore, though. A kitchen area, a living area, and a couple of bedrooms. I started off the investigation by taking pictures from different angles in all the rooms. The reason I do this is because it helps document where everything is when you start. And sometimes that can come in handy later on for reference. While I was taking photos in the pantry area, I noticed a metal spoon on one of the shelves. It was an old thick spoon, most likely made of pewter or silver. And it was the only eating utensil in the pantry. I remember picking it up and making a joke about how the family probably had to share this one spoon. We began our investigation by splitting up into small teams. Three of us would go into a room and do an EVP session, while the remaining two would sit in the kitchen quietly. On my first shift, we went into one of the bedrooms and put a recorder on the bed. We all took turns asking questions and hoping to find answers later during audio review. The room itself was very uncomfortable. Small with slanted floors and low ceilings, it made me feel like there was always someone standing next to me. It was very confined. And when you were really quiet, the house would make lots of noises. We heard quite a few creaks and groans and knocks, typical of an old house. Along with our audio and video recorders, we also set up a K2 meter to detect any fluctuation in the electromagnetic fields around us. It's believed that spirits can manipulate the EMFs around us to manifest itself into making a noise or moving something. And we sometimes will see the K2 light up around the same time as an EVP is being recorded. And with this home having no electricity, we didn't expect to see too many hits on the K2 meter, but we did. While in the bedroom conducting an EVP session, the K2 meter lit up bright red after one of our questions, and then it lit up again a couple of more times. So we tried to use it as a way of getting replies by asking yes or no questions and asking the spirit to light up the K2 meter if the answer is yes and not to light it up if the answer is no. Not very scientific, and we didn't seem to have much luck with it either but we definitely wrote down the approximate times for when the K2 meter did light up. And sure enough, it matched up loosely with some of the audio we recorded. Like I said, we weren't sure who we might be talking to in the Chase Corey house. It could be a member of any dozen of families and residents who have lived there in over 200 years. And we couldn't be sure if we'd be talking to a man, a woman, or even a child. So we were surprised when we captured audio of what sounded like a little girl trying to communicate with us. Here's one of the clips from that EVP session. And don't misinterpret why we have them here. 
Here it is again. And don't misinterpret why we have them here. And that wasn't the only time we caught her on audio. Here's another clip from that same night. I know you've probably heard of people like psychics and mediums and... And here it is again. People like psychics and mediums and... We can't quite make out what she was saying on either of the recordings, or if she's even responding to us. So we can't positively say if this is an intelligent spirit or a residual one. Intelligent spirits are ones that display an awareness of our presence when we're investigating. And sometimes will even sound as if they're trying to answer our questions directly. A residual spirit is one that isn't aware and most likely is just energy that's sort of stuck on replay through time. Residual energy can be anything from sounds to voices, apparitions, even scents that are just on a loop attached to a certain location. What we do know, though, is that there weren't any little girls in the house with us that night or anywhere near the property. We continued to investigate throughout the night, taking breaks outside now and then. At one point, we talked about how cool it would be to do an archeological dig on the property. There's probably so much to find hidden in the ground, from coins to buttons and all sorts of historic relics. Back inside, we decided to do one more investigation. I sat this one out in the kitchen area with Ken DaCosta, the founder of Rise Up Paranormal, while the other three investigators were in the bedroom doing EVP sessions. Ken and I were both sitting on beach chairs that we had brought in since none of us could sit on the furniture in the old house. And as we sat there, we had a recorder going, per usual, because even when you're not actively investigating, you never know what you're going to catch. We were both sitting there quietly when we heard what was a loud bang in the room with us. And on this audio clip, you can hear an object fall. And you'll also hear Ken's response to the noise. Here it is. Let me play it one more time. We looked to where the sound came from and discovered a large metal spoon underneath one of the beach chairs. I picked it up and realized it looked exactly like the spoon I had seen earlier in the pantry, except this spoon was bent in two places right at the base of the handle near the spoon part. Now there's no way anyone could have bent this thick spoon with their bare hands like this. I tried to bend the spoon myself and it wouldn't even budge. So how did this spoon suddenly end up on the floor under one of our chairs? So I decided to take the spoon into the pantry to compare it with the one I had found earlier, but it was gone. 
This was That Spoon. My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash myparanormal or just click on the donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. I also have t-shirts and coffee mugs for sale. Unfortunately, podcasts cost money and your support helps me keep this podcast running. So thank you for your support. Please don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when I've added new episodes and feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for My Paranormal Story. If you have a podcast and you'd like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question or tell me your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is My Paranormal Story. <laughs>